communication is, is, is just so vitally important and communicating in, in a way that's respectful, responsible, and thoughtful. Uh, there's lots of things my wife told me I, I shouldn't say at certain <laughs> times, right? Like, but that's the way it goes. Well, We're not like, perfect. And we like to keep it, you know, you got to keep it light. So there's some heavy moments. All right. I am here with Brandon Bochinski, or known as Mayor Bochinski, probably is the better as in Grand Forks, but he is going to tell us about his backstory, how he moved into from athletics into politics and where he's at today in his business life. Brandon, thanks so much for being here, man. I appreciate you. Mark, thanks for having me. I think the only thing that could be better is if this was a fern and we'd be between two ferns right yeah, now. Yeah. But Zach Galifianakis, but we'll uh, we'll aim for some humor, but hopefully we'll have a good story to tell. Yeah, yeah. Well, I uh, we're all about humor here. You didn't take my Tesla tequila, so I feel bad for that. One day, he's got a Rivian now, so he's, he's a big shot, better than a Tesla. We'll see if they make, yeah, if they start making their own drinks. I know for, it might be an energy drink or something like that. Rivian's got a little different oh. culture, so maybe it won't be tequila. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, it's all about the marketing game. So, Brandon, tell me, you were a, um, you're the mayor of Grand Forks today. Yeah. Um, um, what, what, you know, what different things have you learned just a little bit in your, in being the mayor? I know you just got back from, I think, Grand Forks days is what you were calling it at the, at the Bismarck level. So tell us, you know, a yeah. little bit who you are and what you're doing right now. Well, that's a pretty broad question. I yeah. think, uh, yeah, we were out in Grand Forks. That's, uh, you know, part of the job and the, and the political side is uh, during legislative session in Bismarck, you're going to spend some time out there just making sure that uh, your legislators and the state legislators know your priorities in Grand Forks. And I think they respect it when they have uh, the actual mayor there. So you got your, your top political uh, leader of the city there. And I think that's probably my philosophy in general. I'm a really hands-on guy. Um, I like working with my hands. I've always worked with my hands. So I, I try to take uh, what I've learned over the years in, in sports, uh, you know, working as a team, uh, putting in the effort, and I try to bring that to, to politics. I think, you know, growing up and playing sports, you, you kind of learn to take criticism. That's one thing that you you can do really well. And let's, let's be honest, there's no shortage of criticism when it comes to uh, uh, being the mayor and being involved in uh, public service. Dude, the, the criticism part of that is uh, excruciating. Uh, even anyone who's willing to put themselves out there or go out of their comfort zone, like you're going to be criticized. Someone's not going to like the way you do things, right? Like every way through. So you're saying like in athletics, it was the same way. Well, think about it. When you go on the road, um, you know, you, you half the games that you play are on the road. Well, every time you're on the road, that, that team hates you because they're at home and you're playing against their <laughs> team. And and then also just uh, you, if you if you think about sports, you, you never look back at a game and say, you know what, I've got it all figured. I played the perfect game. I just need to do that over again. No, you, there's always something you can improve on. So you're always looking back at game film, always trying to find ways to, to critique yourself to do better. Um, so, you know, I try to bring that to, to politics. I, uh, I always give this analogy. Um, when you're in the sports world, people remember you by your best day. You know, it's like that home run in the World Series. You had a hat trick. You won the Stanley mm. Cup. You you know, you had that great game in college. That's what people remember when you're an athlete. When you when you go into politics, what they remember is the day you stumbled. You know, you could be perfect for a year, and then you stumble once, and you're remembered as the, you know the person that had this happen. So, it is a challenge. But uh, you know, being will you know being able and, and learning from you know kind of a long life story to today to learn how to handle um, adversity has been. Uh, probably a big asset for me just uh, as you go through the modern world where it's pretty easy. It's a lot easier than it was in the past to be able to reach out and, and communicate, uh, you know, whether it's a senator, a house member, all the way down to a council member or a mayor, you know, you've got email addresses, social media, you know, the telephone, personal meetings. There's just ways to reach out. So people 
definitely feel more willing uh, probably behind a computer than they do in person. Yeah. Um, but you do get to hear it when they're not happy, which is great. <laughs> I remember, I, you know, you just hear the chatter when initially you started running yeah. for mayor um, because you had a different approach. You just had a different look. You had a different, different ambition about yourself. Um, we were kind of getting to a complacency in our market that we just not, nothing was happening as much as we wanted it to happen. So um, we do appreciate you here as it uh, makes our town run a little harder. And, and I think if we chase big things, big things will happen in the future. It's, it's like anything else. I mean, it, it, you got to be aggressive. You got to be willing to take risks. And I mm -hmm. think, um, you know, your risks are always going to be scrutinized, but if you don't put yourself out there and you're always in your comfort zone, um, mm -hmm. you're never growing. So you've got to learn how to live on that edge outside your comfort zone and embrace that. And if you can't do that, um, you're not growing. I mean, I remember when running for mayor, those moments, like looking in the mirror, like, what am I doing? You know, I'm, I'm only going to get a hundred votes and this is going to be really embarrassing. And do I really know? And I, you know, I did the homework. That's another thing with athletics is you, 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 you know, when you're playing a game, you've got a hundred hours of practice and, you know, probably in your life for that yeah. one game. So I was very, very prepared, but at the same time, um, I think anyone that takes, takes risks, um, is also doubting themselves the whole time. And that keeps you um, in check and make sure that you're, you're doing the th doing things the right way. So don't let, uh, you know, fear and doubt and being out of your comfort zone, um, ever slow you down because you know, you, it, it goes one way or the other. You start letting that happen and pretty soon you're, you're not growing at all. And you're just stuck in that same mentality the rest of your life. But if you start taking those risks and you start having those wins, I think that can, can snowball and can create a lot more for you in life than, than you would otherwise have. Right. Yeah. I, you, uh, yeah, you took the extreme approach. Like you got, a. How, how do you, do you, do you build the confidence through athletics or do you build the confidence? Is that just how you carried yourself for a long time? <laughs> well, I'm a big, uh, I'm a big Jordan Peterson fan. I don't know if you've read some of his books, but sure. uh, he talks about how you, how do you, how do you build yourself? How do you build a community? He talks about how, um, you know, get your own house in order before you start telling somebody else how to order their house. So I really, you know, look at it from internally. I start out by what can I do and how do I build confidence? How, what can I do to, to be a better my, me each day? And yeah. I don't compete against, I'm not trying to be Mark Kuhn. I'm not yeah. trying to be anybody else other than better than the person I was yesterday. So you start with that and it's really easy things. What do I do? I try to get a good night's sleep. I try to stay active. I try to eat healthy. Um, yeah. I have meaningful conversations with my wife. I have a good relationship with that. So once you've grounded yourself uh, and you can build some of that confidence, you know, personally and have the energy and the competency to do things, then from there you can build and you can have a better relationship with your spouse, have some date nights, you know, challenge each other. Yeah. From there you can build your family, you know, spend time with your kids. And that's, you know, we all know having kids is, is a challenge and trying to get them to listen is unbelievably hard, <laughs> but do things together, uh, put the time in, so build your family from there, work on doing community things. How can you help out your neighbors? So from there, it just builds out from your community, you know, from your street to your community, to the whole city, to the whole state, to the whole world. I mean, you got to start, it starts with you. And if you're not willing to do the work to, to put yourself out there, to be a, a competent individual, um, you really, you really just not going to move the needle for, for the world. You only live once. So, you know, <laughs> I'm not a big fan of just throwing that out there blindly, you know, but what there is things that a person can do every day to make themselves more competent. And from there you can build and, and, and build that confidence. And, and I think it grows, but not that you're not going to doubt yourself. You can be fully confident. Um, some of that for me comes with my, my faith as well, but you can be fully confident and still, you know, when you make tough decisions, you, you doubts it's okay. Cause then you're thinking yeah. about things a different way. 
Yeah. Well, you, uh, you, you give a confidence level. Uh, I know it's like, you know, speaking, maybe you had some speaking athletics a little bit <laughs> anyway, just, I'm sure the same interview you've done a hundred times as well, but you've done, uh, I remember when you're running, you know, it's like not a lot of people, you know, you're a disruptor, you were yeah. disrupting the norm. And anytime you're doing that, you really, you get a lot of pushback and, and adversity. So I think, I think you handled that well. Um, well, we were running against at that time as a 20 year incumbent. Um, you know, that's always a challenge because you got someone that's very familiar, very recognizable. So you've got to find a way to differentiate yourself. Um, but at the same time, like you said earlier, you know, I don't dip a toe in. It wasn't like, you know, I'm going to join the school board, then the council. It's like, if I'm going to get in this and, and truly make a change, it's cannonball and I'm going, you know, right, right for the mayor, mayor position. And, and, uh, and I do the, and I, I was confident the whole time that I could do the work and, and, and you know, be successful at it. But, uh, you still got to be willing to, like I said before, take those risks. And, uh, I don't know if the public speaking side, you know, in the hockey interviews, <laughs> it was pretty easy. They were just asking about the game. You know, you thank yeah. the team, thank God, you know, you got the right bounces, just looking to the next game. I mean, you had about really nine sentences you ever used when it was hockey interviews, uh, as a public servant, I got to, you know, grow that. I probably got like 15 sentences I use now. So I've almost doubled it. <laughs> well, that's uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Well, we were talking before this is so critical how you answer each question. Cause they're looking for one way for you to stumble. I think in politics, you have to be so critical on what you say because they'll hold it against you. Everyone does. It's a balance because you, you can be, um, not open. Yeah. I mean, I want to be open and humble, so I'm going to make mistakes, right. but at the same time, um, you can be respectful um, and be decent in what you say and be thoughtful about the way you communicate because you can deliver a message in a lot of different ways. Um, and, and the way you deliver it, it might be the same. You might have to, you might have to communicate the same set of facts, but the way you deliver that message can change the whole paradigm. You know, you can tell someone that, that some bad news, but you, you know, you do it in the right way and respectfully and you, you know, you look for solutions. Otherwise you can just be, you know, gruff and mean and just spit it out. Mm -hmm. and, and then you basically delivered the same message, but in a different way. And, and the relationship can be totally different. So I think being thoughtful, um, you know, my wife, I'm sure thinks there's times that I should think more before I talk. And she, uh, she always jokes, you know, you know, I get, my dad's always, a, you know, a, a classic guy that steps on his, <laughs> his own tongue half the time. So every, every, anytime I go to that point, my wife always calls me Louis. So she's, which is my middle name too. So it's always funny. She can rein me back pretty middle quickly name. when, yeah. What do you think? Yeah, exactly. Named after my pop. Yeah. So anyway, it's, uh, we're not immune to being, you know, nobody's going to be perfect, but I think um, communication is, is, is just so vitally important and communicating in, in a way that's respectful, responsible, and thoughtful. Um, it, it's just crucially important because the message sometimes isn't as important as how it's delivered. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, and I, I love that you introduced like the humor part that you bring to a very non-humorful <laughs> type politics. It's almost as dry as you get, right? Um, yeah. I love that you introduced that in there. Uh, there's lots of things my wife told me I, I shouldn't say at certain <laughs> times, right? Like, but that's the way it goes. Well, We're we not like, perfect. And we like to keep it, you know, you got to keep it light. So there's some heavy moments. Um, I remember one time it was like, you know, we were at a city council meeting where we were doing a remodel for the second floor and uh, the city council president was talking about, well, this is, um, you know, this is uh, um, tile instead of carpet. This is going to be, you know, much colder to the feel. You know, why are we going to go with tile in this area instead of carpet? And I just quibbed. I said, are you walking around up here barefoot? You know, I mean... <laughs> Anyway, there's, there's moments where you can lighten things up, um, and still get, get your work done. Um, because at the end of the day, if you, if you can't, if you lose your sense of humor, you've really lost it all. You got to be able to wake up with a smile on your face and try to light, brighten people's days yeah. because that's just as contagious. 
um, as negativity. Right. Yeah. I, I try to have fun as much fun as I can at yeah. work. And then I'm sure when you're dealing with people that are usually more straight laced and it's just like, it's hard to bring humor. They may not laugh, but you laugh. <laughs> It rubs off on people though. Does I it? mean, it's really hard. You go Lightens in somewhere it. and you're, yeah, you're smart. I mean, you can have someone that's kind of, you can kind of tell they're a little grumpy, but you, you know, if you can smile and, and just deliver some positivity, you can start seeing them. Well, you know, I was going to come in here and be mad, but you know what? It's really hard to be really mad right now because you're just, you know, your smile friend, you know, your friendly face, you're trying to find solutions. Um, it's hard to be mad at that. So I think, I do think uh, positivity um, in this world is, is becoming more and more and more important because I, I just believe social media has, has, has warped our minds and it's, it's created these mobs of, of group thinking and, and you build this anger that it's, uh, I don't know, I, I really think we need to look at social media because it, it's meant to be such a positive thing. And if you use it in a positive way, it can really help, help uh, you can grow business, you can grow your, your friend base, you can share photos, you can share positivity, but if it twists negative, I mean, it can be, uh, it can just destroy people's lives. And yeah. you know, that cancel culture mob mentality um, it's just not how humans were meant to be. We're a, we're a, a tribal, you know, mm -hmm. humans are tribal. Let's yeah. just put it that way. But we're, we're, we're tribal to, to, you know, to come together and to make positive and to make things happen. And we've been doing that for 20,000 years. Right. It seems like that shift with social media and even these people, um, you know, that are running these companies, they don't even let their kids on some of this stuff. So, right. Uh, you look at some of the Facebook uh, early adopters. Anyway, off on a tangent here, but I, I worry about well, that. And well, and social media is a whole game, you know, yeah. and uh, it's we're uh, not going to solve that it's today. Who, it's who you know <laughs> in that game, obviously. Um, but yeah, maybe we'll we'll probably get hacked if we talk about that. Well, the best deep. part is where's this going to be delivered? Not on social yeah, yeah, media, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. So there is there is good. There's a lot of good that can come from it, but we have to be careful that we're we're using social media and and, and the communities um, in positive ways. Yeah, I want to talk about a little bit more about that at the end of this and just how you view it and how maybe you ran your campaign and stuff. But mm -hmm. let's, uh, let's try to, I, I, I want to talk more about where we're going to go in this town a little bit and kind of your, your vision. You got your fingertips all over this town, which is awesome to see and, yeah. and things are happening. Um, but I want to talk like, this is the juice for me because I'm curious a little bit about your story, your background. Yeah. Like where, where did you go to, where, where, where did Brandon start? <laughs> Oh, geez. How did you even interview? Well, you know, we, it's hockey, but we'll start from the beginning. Yeah, let's do we'll it. And at the end, I, I do it. grew up in, uh, in Minnesota, kind of in the North suburbs, a couple of different suburbs there. I always had a love for hockey. So, um, we didn't have a lot of money, but, uh, I was always at the outdoor rinks playing the streets. Um, you know, back in that day, it seemed like the, the, the kids ran the streets and, you know, the cars were an inconvenience where it's kind of switched today. But, um, so really, uh, just an average kid growing up in a neighborhood playing sports. I uh, love that. Uh, my whole world kind of changed when I was uh, 11 years old. My dad uh, had left and he left the country, uh, went over to Germany, and we really didn't have a, a whole lot of connection with him uh, for a long, long period of time. And my, my mom was home trying to manage four kids. And then, um, you know, finances were extremely tight. Um, she had uh, at that point gotten a, um, a boyfriend and had a few more kids with him. And so that relationship was abusive at times. So there was uh, really at that time, my whole world changed and we kind of got exposed to some, you know, some, some difficult situations. And I really looked for an outlet and a, and a way to sort of get out. And I think uh, I had some siblings that, that turned to, uh, you know, turned to drugs and turned to other things that, sure. that really affected their lives. I was able to, to focus on hockey and, and scratch and, and claw and really had a community that, you know, if I couldn't afford a helmet or a pair of skates, you know, some, somehow, you know, a pair of skates would arrive at the next practice and somebody had taken care of you, you know, or paid your ice bill. But it was really a community that helped uh, sort of keep me going. And, 
you know, I was working my, my way through trying to, um, how many, how many brothers or seven siblings? So holy seven, we siblings. got, okay. uh, I got uh, an older sister, then two younger brothers and then three sisters, um, that are half sisters. So, wow. Okay. Yeah, we had a three bedroom, two bathroom house. I don't know that we had all wow. seven in the house at once, but I know we had six at once. So, and so the suburbs of Minnesota, this isn't like Roseau or War Road. This is no, like no, we're down the in the cities. We're in Blaine. <laughs> okay. um, so, gotcha. I mean, I learned to, but I would say at that time, you know, we learned the struggle and I, I probably hid more. I was really kind of a meek kid, not, you know, no ambitions of leadership at all. I just wanted to get by. Okay. I wanted to get myself out of that situation. Didn't want the spotlight on me at all. I just wanted to hide and, and do my thing and be left alone. You know, I just, how old were you? This would have been between, this is the time I'm talking about. It's probably between 11 and like 18 years old. Okay. So. Okay. Really playing hockey though a lot and still and playing hockey. Still That's my way. outlet. Had a, some, had a really good friend that we just trained together and was really iron sharp, sharpened iron. Um, you know, he didn't have the most stable family life either, but we just found each other and, and really built and strengthened each other. And he's gone on to, to be really successful too. Awesome. Um, and, and from there, uh, you know, I was having success at, at the high school hockey level and, uh, not enough to, to make a scholarship at that point. So I had to find the next, next route because oh, uh, well. I wasn't going to college unless I couldn't afford it. So <laughs> I got picked up uh, by a USHL team. They were actually, um, the, um, it's a junior A team. Um, they were actually there recruiting another player on my team and they, they kept coming back and watching and they, they ended up signing him first, but they said, Hey, we got to take this other guy. Where, where did they find you? Like where this is in high school. So they came and scouted the okay. games. Yep. So All they right. came and scouted the games and, and they, uh, they were there watching my other teammate and they ended up taking me. So that went down wow. to 18 years old. I got, you know, I'd worked all summer to buy a car. I had like this old Ford Thunderbird that barely ran. And, uh, you know, I had to drive down to Lincoln, Nebraska with about, you know, 50 bucks in my pocket, just enough gas money to get there and live with the billet family and, and started playing <laughs> in the, the USHL. So I went down to yeah, Lincoln, Nebraska, had a lot of success there, ended up uh, leading the league in, in goals and then getting recruited to um, but basically any, any college in the, in the country. So is this the minors or of the NHL? No, this like, is a, the kind is... of a, it's a step between uh, high school and, and, and college. So it's uh, it. junior hockey that, you know, this, this league is in um, like Dubuque, Iowa, Des Moines, Omaha, okay. um, out in Kearney, Nebraska. Um, you know, it's kind of in that mid, yeah. mid Midwest, let's call it. So don't have to, don't have to be in college at all to play though. Nope. Nope. Just you step a lot of high it, school. And some people will be there when they're still in school. So you're taking you know, like high school classes. I got a job. So I worked at a parking garage at 5am. So we would park cars um, between 5am <laughs> until noon. And then I'd go to practice. So I still had to work my way through it. Cause you still had to pay your, you know, pay your way. You weren't getting paid at that point. Right. So you knew when these scouts were at these practices, you were in high school though. Like, I mean, you're, you're playing your heart out. I mean, you're watching your stats and trying to, or, or what, like, <laughs> well, I was playing my heart out when regardless. They your, so. <laughs> when they called your number, right? Like they're like, Brandon, let's, I don't think you necessarily knew and you know, scouts were there, but you were, you know, you wanted to win every game. So you're, you know, you're yeah. training and playing hard. I okay. mean, it was, I was, okay. uh, I always had some, some, some areas that I was really skilled at other areas, you know, I needed to get better at. And it took a, you know, a lifetime and a, and a career to, to develop my skills as a player. But yeah. Um, you know, from there, and then I got recruited in the, the coach in Lincoln was a guy named Steve Johnson, who was a, um, a UND grad. And then he was uh, coaching down there. He was on the 1987 championship team up here in North Dakota. Oh, cool. um, so I think he was pushing me like, Hey, we got to get this guy at UND. So <laughs> He set up all the college visits. So like UND uh, was last and, you know, he constantly <laughs> talking about how great North, you know, North Dakota and Grand Forks was. So I ended up accepting that scholarship and coming up here in uh, 2001. What uh, was Grand Forks the only one UND or was there others on the table? Yeah, I actually, I mean, I was, I had a, a phenomenal year that year in the USHL that I could have uh, pretty much every, I had a full ride to just about any place, any, any, any school. 
Um, I kind of stuck with the WCHA because that's where the, a lot of the NHL players were, were leaving. But I sure. went five college visits. I visited Duluth, Minnesota, um, Colorado College, and Wisconsin. And then North Dakota was the last one. And um, they were building the Ralph uh, yeah. Engelstad Arena at that <laughs> Hard time. Hard to deny and, that. You know, you had NHL players just, I mean, that was my goal. So I went to the, the school that was going to, you know, get me there. Love the rink, love the community. So it was an easy choice. Opportunity was your Abound, best. Yes. Yeah, 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 gotcha. And and so did you have like a manager at this point? Like who who's telling you like, Brandon, this is like, <laughs> I know you probably saw the new stadium. You're like, shit, this is going to be a great spot. I had to grow up fast. I mean, I, I think uh, it's, it's, it's probably similar to previous generations. You know, when I was 17, 18, I was pretty much on my own and making my own decisions. So it wow. wasn't, uh, you know, I had to, to, to look at the, the positive and negative. I mean, I'd call my mom and you know, she probably was like, come play for Minnesota. I'm like, <laughs> not those cake eaters. Be a gopher? You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Gotcha. Cause you're probably a gopher fan growing up. Yeah. Like, well, yeah. I would watch them growing up. I always, I actually did like North Dakota cause they're always tougher and I didn't like these oh. kind of, you know, these sallies that were out there from the gophers. <laughs> uh, that's, that's the kindest word I can sorry, use for them. Sorry, gopher fans. Yeah. Anyways, if there's some gopher fans out of there, uh, yeah, you'll, you'll get over it. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. They, they, I don't think I've watched a couple of their, uh, not, well, I've seen what their rink looks like now and I don't think there's a lot of gopher fans out there anymore. So yeah, there's not. Yeah, no, you're, uh, you, you did the right thing in the long term. So you, you wound up at UND. How old were you? So I'd have been, yeah, a year out of school. So probably 19. Um, I was fortunate enough at that time, uh, a coach by the name of Dean Blaze was the one that recruited me. And then Brad Berry, who's the current coach and Dave Haxtall, who's been a, a legend here and coaches the Kraken now out in Seattle were the three coaches. And I would say I was still kind of a rough and tumble, a little bit of a troubled kid still when I came in here and, uh, they weren't going to put up with that. It was, it was time to time to work and time to be a pro. And, uh, I would say I did a lot of growing during those three years, and I would say those three made it made a man out of me. I came here as a boy and yep. and left as a went to go to my career as a as a man, and you know kind kind of coming here with nothing and seeing the community really get behind me and then take care of me and treat me well, and it never felt like you know we just love you because a hockey player. It was like they they loved um, you know the university, they loved you as a person, and that um, you know coming from a, a large family in a bigger city. Having somewhere where you felt like you belonged was was always special to me. I ended up meeting my wife, who's from Park River, so we, we've oh, always cool. considered this uh, to be our home since then. So, um, just it was a really special place for me. Yeah, yeah I'm I'm, always, I'm I'm just like the curious curious kid over here, just trying to figure out. Okay, you come to UND too, though. Like, what's you blazes hard on you uh, right out of the gate? Absolutely. So I don't know. Oh, know like, like you got you got to tell me you're you had the wild side. So I had to dive into this a well, little more. You know, I don't know if anybody. If, I mean, hopefully some of the viewers know who Dean Blaze is. Yeah, mean, yeah, He was like 40 years old and already had like a golden tooth and those transition lenses before they're there. So he could scowl <laughs> at you and he could just dress you down. So you didn't want to disappoint him, but it's because you respected him. You know. Okay. Yeah. So you wanted him. Um, you wanted his his uh, um, admiration. You wanted his love. So, um, you did exactly what he what he asked of you and. uh and you didn't do anything else. You didn't mess around. You, know, really? you went to went to class. You did things the right way. Um, he wanted you to be tough. He wanted you to have fun. But you, you were an adult now, so stop acting like a kid. Wow. Or you weren't going to play. So wow. So they're like completely prepping you as an adult. You're a 19 year old kid. I don't even think you're allowed to be that tough on. You know, this is like your Phil Knights. You know, this is like your. Uh, um, you know, this is a different Bear Bryant's. I mean, this is a different. It was a different culture back then. You okay. could be really tough on people. I don't know that you really can even do that anymore. It's different. But I think um, the goal was to make men, and, and, and he did, a lot of them. Wow, that's yeah. awesome. So how many years did you have with him for it went to Haxtell? So I was here, he was here all three years. Oh, so he was, was the okay. same coaching okay. staff. I, I left a year earlier. I was fortunate enough. I had gotten drafted during that uh, USHL year yep. by the Ottawa Senators. So 
Um, I signed a contract after the third year. I remember, you know, they'd made me an offer and it was like, um, you know, I, I like this, you know, you wanted to make it to NHL, but you wanted to make sure it was the right timing. Mm-hmm. And I just remember sitting there and I was like, I got $7 in my bank account and I can't even, you know, pay rent this month. And someone's offering me a half a million dollar signing bonus. Like, I think it's time to go. So it's just dollar signs at that point. I mean, it was it's a business it, decision. Yeah, okay. I mean, I'd love to finish my degree then and, and try to win a national championship. But, um, you know, I, at that point, you know, had a girlfriend was, was looking at, you know, knowing I need to start a family in the future. And I didn't want to end up, um, you know, as when you kind of grow up in that, right on that edge of poverty, you don't want to, you don't want to be there. You know, you're going to fight so that you don't worry about the things and some of the shame that you had to feel as a kid. You didn't want to, you don't want to have to feel that. You don't want your kids to have to feel that. So I saw it as an opportunity and it was, you know, I had to take it at that time. Yeah. That, so it, it's so cool. Was it just Ottawa then that was like approached you or like, how, do, how does this look? Like, you got to walk me through, like yeah. they just calling you and like, well, at hey, that point, we're going to send you an email, Brandon. Yeah. You just got to let us know tomorrow uh, if this is good or not. So you have, you kind of have an agent. They call it a, you can't technically have an agent. They call it a family advisor. So you're not paying them at that point, but they would be in contact with the team. And I was drafted by them. So they had my rights. That was the only team that could sign me from the NHL. Okay. Got it. So, um, yeah, he had just worked with them. I mean, they looked at bringing me the year before, but they, you know, they weren't quite sold. They wanted me to develop a little bit more. And uh, basically that time they said, I, you know, I just don't think he's going to develop as much. I'd, you know, I'd been pretty dominant for two years in the NCAA and they, they wanted my, my progression to continue quicker. So offered me some money and said, uh, we want you to come to move to Ottawa and start uh, playing hockey for us. Is that, it's so funny to me in call like the college hockey guys, like literally they'll be playing at the Ralph and then like two games later, they're, they're, they're sitting in the Ottawa centers. Yeah. Playing third line, well, whatever. That's Second exactly, line, it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly how it happened with Zach. I think he left, like we lost, I finished out the school year. Like I wanted to get that done and they, yep. were, they were fine with bringing me in um, the next season. But I remember Zach going to, on New Jersey, Zach Parisi. Yes. And yes. Like literally we played our, our last game, our last hockey game. And he was like on a plane there the next day. So, so it's level. the call, like they're calling and you make, you make the decision. Yeah. And like you it's sign, right there. And then sign. I mean, you're signing that contract and, and we're wiring you money. You're working for them. Yeah. Wow. That's uh, it's kind of cool. And so podcast a little bit about business. So I'm going to get into the curiosity of the business side of the professional athlete. There's not a lot of people that make it to that point. Um, you know, you probably have plenty of friends that I'm guessing didn't make it to that point. Um, yeah. I mean, you, you think it's like any other sport you're, you know, how many even make the, the high school team? You're probably one in 10, you know, might make wow. a varsity team from there. How many from your varsity team make it to division one hockey? You're probably, again, you're like one in 10. So now you're at, Holy crap. you're one in a hundred, maybe even, and that's just around here, you know, in the cities, you've got thousands of kids that are playing for just a handful of scholarships. And then to make it to the NHL, even from college hockey, you're talking one. And two. I mean, you're, it's just extrapolated out a lot. So the, the odds aren't good, um, but you just have to keep plugging away. I've got some friends that, you know, scratched their way from the minors all the way up to the NHL. I mean, took a long road, but eventually got there. They got I was there. kind of fortunate enough to get there uh, more quickly than that. But uh, it's a business when you get there, you know, you're yeah. as good as your last game at that point. And wow. uh, I saw that I got traded uh, five, four or five different times. I ended up playing on six NHL teams. So Either so, either everybody wanted me. You gotta or they walk didn't me through that. Yeah, you gotta yeah. quickly walk me through and like. <laughs> I, I watched the movie Moneyball. You know, it's like, hey, Brandon, come in. Hey, you're done here. Um, yeah. You know, we traded you to the Sharks, and you're gonna be gone tomorrow. You know, whatever. I had it's two just that like, were two times. It was pretty intense. That one was at the trade deadline. I was playing um, uh, for Chicago. I was actually down in the minors at the time, and we were on a bus trip going up to. Uh, uh, Manchester, uh, New Hampshire. So we're on a bus, like we're supposed to play the next day. Trade deadlines at three o'clock that day. So 
at about 245, a guy in the back of the bus goes, Hey, Bo, you got, you just got traded to the, uh, or I was, you, you just got traded to the Bruins. Right. Wait, maybe I was in geez, I got to get this straight now. I got Chicago. Yeah, no, yeah, I was in, through. sorry, sorry. I was in, um, I was in, uh, um, Ottawa. I got traded to Chicago that time. Yeah. So we were driving up from, uh, Binghamton. I was in the minors in Binghamton and he's like, you just got traded to Chicago. And I'm like, yeah, right. You know, trying to take a <laughs> yeah, nap here. Right. So sure enough, like by the time I look back, you know, down at my phone, I'm getting a phone call. It's the GM for Chicago. Yeah. We traded for you. Really excited to have you. Um, can you get here tonight? We got a game at seven o'clock. So I'm on the, the bus day? at like three o'clock. Yeah. They flew me. I flew out of uh, like Connecticut somewhere. The team bus that was going to play somewhere else just dropped me off on the side of the road with my hockey equipment, you know, whatever clothes I had with me. And I flew to Chicago, uh, landed at O'Hare airport and they, um, called me off the plane right away. I went down, you know, I didn't go through the terminal. I went right down the stairs. They had a limo or not a limo, but just some vehicle waiting for me, drove me right to the rink. So I arrived at the United center and uh, the first period's going on. So I got there. They had put no me on the way. roster. They'd made it some trades and like legally they had to have 18 on their roster. So they put me on the roster. So I get there. Uh, I meet the, the GM. He's like, well, you're on the roster for the game. So you might as well start playing the second period. So no, I tried to way. limber up, got my skates sharpened, and then uh, I'd missed the first period warmups, but I started playing in the second period. So, dude, that's insane. That's yeah. almost like the show you got punked or something. Like, no. And then the bus drops you off, and you're a professional athlete, and they just. Well, you think it's all, it's all glamorous. So I had that great setup. You know, they picked me up off the plane. Well, so after the game, you know, you're the new player. So you got right, yeah, nowhere to go. So uh, after the game, I get done like a lot later than everybody else. And I don't know if they just kind of forgot about me or what, but. They told me where my hotel was. They gave me, you know, everything to get checked in there, but there was nobody around. Everyone was gone. So if anyone's been to Chicago, the United Center is not in a good part of town. So here I am. I got like a bag. <laughs> I'm like 23 years old, standing in front of the United Center, trying to flag down a taxi or something to bring me to the hotel. And there's like dudes walking by like, what are you doing out here, bro? You know, I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> just I'm uh, like, I seriously, I played for the Blackhawks. Could you give me a ride to the hotel? You know, it was a. Uh, Kind of a scary moment, but uh, I had plenty more of those uh, as my career progressed uh, towards eight years living in uh, Kazakhstan and playing in Russia. So I guess it prepared me for that. So yeah, well, yeah, and and wow, that's that is a crazy story. Honestly, that's uh, that one you could tell the grandkids for yeah, walking down uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard <laughs> in uh, next to United Center in Chicago. I, yeah, it was, what's your girlfriend think about this? Well, she uh, at that time, I'm sure she was. Uh, well, she knew I could handle myself, so she was probably not too. Nervous. I just didn't tell her, you know. <laughs> You didn't tell her you were playing for the Chicago Blackhawks. Oh, as far as that same trade, day? yeah, no. I guess I was talking about. <laughs> I'm after in the Chicago game. when I just played. Um, you know, I'm sure I was texting her, and I mean, it was ex those are exciting times too because you know I think yeah. I was in the minors and I was going up to to play at the the big club there. So I mean, it was exciting. You're on a new team, but it's like whew, a lot going on because she would have been in in Binghamton, set up a house for us probably, and then she's got to pack up like she did multiple times, and then either go home or go to the new city. So if I know what true love really is there. No, she's still with me, so yeah, she likes right. me enough, I guess. Yeah, you, yeah, you did. Whatever. That's uh, that's true love when you're following you around. I'm sure. Yeah. So you, uh, so you leave the Blackhawks, or you, you, what you do? They set you up, I'm sure, apartment or something. They got something going on there for players that yep. come in and out. Well, a lot of times you end up like so. There, I think it was you at the trade deadline. So you got three months left, so I probably just stayed in the hotel, which was fine because you yep. had a restaurant. Someone cleans your room and just comfortable food, you know. Oh, okay. okay. Room service, all that they, stuff. Yeah. So, I've spent many months living in hotels in different places and it's uh, not as glamorous as it seems, but uh, it works. Well, I, uh, I, you hear about the miners' side of things though, when players are trying to get up, like they're sleeping yeah. on cots and like 10 in a room, you know what I mean? They're just trying to get by <laughs> as cheap. Cause you don't, I don't think you make any money hardly in 
the minors depends what level you're at but yeah i mean it's definitely a different you know it's a multiple probably of seven or eight by the time you make it up from wow the minors yeah if not more yeah so anyway, you're in the Blackhawks. How many how many teams? And walk us through the next All few. Right, so walk we, us into where you ended up because let's go I here. think let's go through the, the list here. Drafted by Ottawa, so started with Ottawa. Um, got traded to Chicago. From there, traded to Boston. Um, then there, when I was in Boston, the next year I had a fun year. I got traded to Anaheim and then traded at the deadline to Nashville. So we played in the playoffs in Nashville that year. So this is over a six year period. And then I signed a two year contract with Tampa and then played out my last two years uh, with the Tampa Bay Lightning Lightning organization. Jeez. And so is it lucrative overseas. for you to move around that much? Like, are they giving you sign-on bonuses? Like, hey, Brandon, you got to get here, but we, here's you 100 grand or 500 grand and then come. No, you're coming. I mean, you sign a contract, so your, your contract just gets moved. So if you sign oh. for like, a, you know, 600 grand at the start of the year, um, you get traded, you're just, you're just paid under that same contract. Yeah. So you're... Did you get any, uh, did you meet any, I bet you met some pretty cool people on the, in the athletic side of that. Sure. It was always cool. I mean, when you're, uh, you know, when you're at, at that level, like when you're in Boston, we shared, you know, obviously shared the stadium with, uh, like the, the Celtics. So, you know, at that time you uh-huh. had like Kevin Garnett and other people you could yeah. see on there, are on there sometimes, um, at different events, you know, you, you get to probably rub elbows with, uh, different celebrities at times, uh, like being out in Anaheim too, that, that always kind of had more of that glamorous vibe, but I was never too bought into, you know, into some of that. It was always for me, it was oh. a job and I was just, I don't know, you kind of start to see some of those people and they're just regular people and you kind of oh. wonder what the hype's all about, but you know. Yeah. You're uh so you're not out there networking every night. You're, you're, you're laser focused. These, these seasons are pretty intense. Maybe I missed some opportunities, but yeah, I mean, yeah, you're, you're just trying to stay alive and stay above water to, you know, stick with the team. So you're, as much as you're enjoying the ride, you are, uh, you know, making sure you're dialed in so that you're ready to play the next game too. Yeah. It's gotta be a grinder in the season. I would imagine. And uh, yeah, 82 games. So, you know, you can, you probably have a similar number of collisions that you have in a football game, but instead of playing 16, you play 82. So it's, uh, <laughs> I don't know what sport everyone would talk about, you know, baseball, you got so many games, you know, football is obviously a grind. Basketball is pretty similar to hockey, but I don't know that there's the collisions that you get in hockey. So yeah. To me, the overall athleticism that's involved in, in hockey and, and the balance and the conditioning, um, you know, probably rivals uh, soccer is probably one of those sports that kind of brings all, all okay. the skill sets together. Okay. So talk me through the decision to go across seas and, 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 um, cause you, that was a big, that's a big deal. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, what's that? That works a little like? bit differently. So they, they don't quite have the same rules. So like there's different rules of like, if you're a free agent, like teams can't talk to you until July 1st over here. Well, if you're going overseas, they can pretty much talk to you anytime. So oh. I was wrapping up my, my contract in, in Tampa. And as the season was winding down, um, a team just had reached out through my agent and said, we'd really like to sign them and, and bring them over here. At the time it was for more money than I was making yep. um, in, in Tampa. And, uh, you know, I was kind of getting, had some injuries that were lagging. It was a little different game over there. So okay, I figured I'd give it a shot. Um, you know, would negotiate a little bit, try to get a little better deal and, and was <laughs> yep. going to just try something new. So uh, I told my wife, let's just try it. It's, it's only a year. Let's see how it goes. Um, yeah. At the time I didn't tell her I signed a two-year contract. I figured, <laughs> figured I had a year to tell her that it was a, a two-year contract. Lie. Yeah. <laughs> but you got to earn it over there. So who, who knows if it, you know, if it didn't work out, it might only been a year anyways, but uh, no, we just decided let's, let's try to make this work. My plan was just to make a little bit of money so I could, uh, you know, really transition to the next phase of my life. And I ended up staying there uh, for eight years and, and doing well. And the, the community kind of rallied behind us, which is pretty unique. And wow. My wife was there for uh, six of the eight years and the, the kids were there. We had my last son was born there. So oh my gosh, we were, we immersed ourselves into the, into the, uh, the culture uh, quite a bit there over in Kazakhstan. Who would have thought? So it was the, 
it was the top Russian league. It was the one team in Kazakhstan. So most of the teams were in Russia, Eastern Europe. Um, I think there was, there was one team in Beijing. So it was kind of all over the wow. map there. So you, well, how old were you when you, when you left, when you're at Tampa Bay and you moved? I would have been 28. So, you know, you wow. talk about okay. some of your prime years, that 28 to 36 was my, my eight years over there. So I, uh, I, uh, you know, might have, you know, I missed out on plenty of Thanksgivings, Christmases, times with family. And that's ultimately when we decided to retire and really move home. Um, that was kind of the, the, the decision point that really pushed us over the line. So what's the culture shock when you get over there? Like what's uh, <laughs> it has to be a lot different, right? Like is the rink different? The game's played the same. Yeah. I mean, exactly you got all the, the same. same. It's just, they have a larger rink and it's more of a puck control game. So a little bit more skill okay. um, in, in the style of play over there. And you see that match up when you have international hockey as well. Um, so it was, of course, it was a huge culture shock, um, <laughs> you know, but most of the people treated us well. Um, you know, you had to learn some of the language you can get by at restaurants, you know, traveling there, learning how to drive there was an interesting thing. Uh, um, <laughs> Is that left side of the road type thing? No, it was oh. still on the right side of the road, but it just seems like there's no rules there. I mean, just, <laughs> no rules chaos. of life. No rules, but somehow we were always breaking them. I don't, I don't get it. You know, it's like <laughs> they'd pull you, they'd obviously know you were like foreign and they'd like pull you over and try to shake you down for a couple bucks, but geez, different animal over there. That's really? for sure. So what, uh, what's some of the things you learned in, uh, playing in Russia? I just well, I couldn't even imagine. It was pretty, you spent a long time there, man. Yeah, it was pretty cool because we had uh, some other foreigners. I mean, we, we were obviously a, a tight tight team, and you're, that's pretty normal. So a lot of the team type, type of stuff was normal. But then we had a group of uh, Canadians and uh, that were there for me with me most of the time. And um, uh, there was uh, some Czech players I play with, some Swedish players. Um, so you end up getting, being really cr- close with them and developing some some friendships, but also our family. I mean, we we first got there, we were really tight. We hardly, you know, we didn't leave the apartment a whole lot. We were spending a lot of time together, which, you know, really helped us develop stronger family ties. But uh, as we got more engaged in the community, um, we got out a lot more and you, you know, you end up realizing it's not a whole lot different than anywhere else. People are just trying to make their lives better, make the lives better of their children and, and just uh, uh, kind of getting through this race like everybody else. So as much, as much as it was different, um, the people were pretty much the same. Oh crap. All right. Well, yeah. that's, uh, I learned something new. I don't know that. Well, good thing you're not in Russia right now. Yeah, that's ah. true. I know I got some <laughs> friends that were still some Canadians that are still over. Oh, no. I just kind of feel for myself. That's just gotta be pretty tense, but uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's business. It's no different than, you know, Ovechkin and, and Melkin and, uh, uh, you know, some of the players, uh, oh, uh, man. that are Russians that are here. I'm sure they feel that, uh, that stress as well. Yeah. So, well, um, so w- when you, you played your eight, se- eight seasons over there, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So you were, you know, 28, 36 years old coming home and you, you basically, did you retire? Did you just, did they, you know, you guys just part ways or what? Yeah. They, they that kept about? trying to resign me. They wanted me to, to stick around. Um, ultimately it just was time to be done and, um, you know, came back here and then started, uh, started a land development and construction company and yeah. you know, got involved in that. And, what I saw, you know, we, we were, you know, back here off and on, but it just didn't seem like the community was growing after 15 years. It just seemed like it stalled out some, uh, you weren't seeing, you know, a lot of investment in town, not, a, not a lot for families to do, just not a lot of growth. And some of the other, you know, factors, you know, you, you don't have a lot of home ownership. Those levels were extremely, you know, depressed in town. Um, you know, a lot of high poverty level, low wages, just things I thought that, uh, you know, having had some time, having some cultures, you know, traveling, you know, really around the world and having an economics degree and being, you know, a good people person, having some leadership skills as being a captain with the hockey team. It's uh, something I wanted to take on both as a kind of a way to give back to the community, but also I felt like I could do some good things. So yeah, 
it kind of came down to my wife just looking at me. If you're going to complain about things, you better go do something about it. So <laughs> I took that as permission to run for office. Yeah. Well, hey, were you, how, you were a captain in Ru like your Russia team, right? Yeah. I got the distinction of being the first uh, uh, American player uh, ever to be named a, a captain of a, of a team in the Russian top Russian league. So, so all the way till you retired, were you? That was pretty unique. Yeah. Wow. So I think uh, five or six of the years of the eight, I was the, the captain over there. And, and, uh, you know, that was just uh, the respect the team had for me, the way I, I carried myself, the, the way I interacted with uh, the team and the public. Um, and then I was someone that, you know, that they could count on, they wanted to lean on. So I probably learned some politics at that point because, um, you know, if the team's struggling, that's even if you're playing well, it doesn't really matter. It's, it's the, if the team's struggling, it's on you as the captain and you're, you know, expected yeah. to be uh, the face to the, the community over there. And you're, you're expected to, uh, you know, put the team on your back at times. So for them to give that role, um, to an American was, was pretty, uh, well, was rare. It was the first time it had ever happened. And, uh, it's a, I would say, you know, one thing about Russia, it's a very masculine, you know, not only were we in a masculine place where it's, you know, you have to be strong and tough all the time, but also, oh. um, in a sport that's a, you know, a very, you know, masculine and, and aggressive sport. So to be able to sign it, kind of climb that with, uh, I would say with, with some grace and some, some class and compassion, uh, was also pretty unique, but also having that, that strength and that, uh, that, you know, that, you know, mindset of hard nosedness, let's call it. Wow. So I got, I got to ask the question, what, what, what's your biggest season? what did you make? What, what is a professional <laughs> hockey player that's in Russia? I don't know if that sounds like your highest pay of your career. Probably. Yeah. I mean, I had my best years. I think, um, you know, you could at the top end, you could, you could be making, um, you know, into the $2 million. So it's okay. Um, it gets, it gets up there pretty good at the high end players, you know, but the ranges there can go anywhere from like a hundred grand up to, Probably if, if you've got, you know, like I think uh, Kovalchuk went back and played for St. Petersburg and he was making like 8 million, but the average is going to be somewhere probably between that, let's call it 400,000 and, um, you know, maybe 3 million. In that range. Gotcha. So do they like, does it vary? And I, I just got to ask about pay because I'm sure some of the people listening to this are probably curious. Um, what do, do they, they base it on how many goals you have, you know, your, your certain assists do like, do they try to incentivize you just yeah, like they would in business? Yeah. There's always bonuses. So like, uh, you know, if you have a, I think mine, one of the bonuses I had was if, you know, if I scored 40 points, it'd be X. If I scored 50, it would jump to the next level okay. up to, up to 60. Um, and then you can have playoff bonuses, you know, as far as you go in the playoffs, but otherwise, you know, you're just playing under a contract. Um, it was a, it, that brought a new element to it because you were paid in the local currency there. So you had to, um, you know, kind of watch where the markets were going and that because your salary <laughs> yes. might have been, you know, for, uh, you know, a million bucks, but if the currency changed and the, they're, they got devalued by half, suddenly you were getting paid 500,000. So you were balancing, oh, you know, your banks and getting your money exchanged into dollars and you, know, wow. you still had to, you get, you'd get a credit for the, the taxes that you paid there, but you still had to, you know, manage your, your taxes at home. So you're still paying a big chunk back home and wow, uh, she takes a big bite out of it. We all know tax management's uh, very important. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't even think about the overseas part of that. So, like, you got to have a manager at this point, like, like through your Russian career. Yeah, I mean, I had an agent through all an, my professional stuff, but as far as money management, you know, that's something I went to school for, something that I've, I've okay. gotten good at over the time. Okay. So, when it comes to financial management stuff, I'm always I've always done that myself. And, okay, and uh, sort of your financial planning, um, that's been important to me. I think I, you know, I've done done well enough at it to, to feel confident to, to continue yeah. to do it and. When you're going to, uh, what are you, what are you investing in? What are you, what are you doing as a professional athlete? I don't have a lot of time to think about this. Am I, you know, you weren't dumping it in Bitcoin at that point. Um, or maybe you did, maybe, no, maybe you hit it big. I, I don't was know. I not a big cryptocurrency investor. Um, you know, I, 
uh, when interest rates are really low, you'd, you'd try to find a way to, to, to find some yield. I think we as hockey players are going to invest and athletes in general, if you really think about it, you should be investing your careers. Maybe if you're lucky, you'll play for 10 years. So you should be investing like someone who's going to retire in 10 years. So you're probably investing more similarly to a 60 year old where you're looking sure. at uh, some fixed income, whether it's through REITs. Um, um, so you're, you're, you know, you're looking at, you know, income type of producing investments, but you're also going to have a, you know, a bucket that's in, that's taking some risk in, in different equities. So, okay, you know, I was a big fan of, uh, let's call it fertilizer stocks, materials, things that, that have uh, true value. I was never a big uh, investor in some of these, you know, I might've missed out on some of these high PE ratio tech companies okay. where, uh, you know, let's call it your Amazon. Some of them I probably missed out some of the high end of that where okay. I, I, I tend to look for more, um, uh, growth types of stocks that uh, were a little bit more uh, mature. Let's put it that way. So were you, were you, because uh, not every athlete is as educated in investing as you were because you, you went to school for that. And yeah. w- what do some of them do? I mean, are they just throwing <laughs> in a high yield savings account and hope for the best. You well, know? a lot of them are going to have, it all depends. I think a lot of them are going to have, probably have some, some outside professional management. On oh, that. Okay. Um, I okay. know in, in Russia, when you have a lot of, uh, cause we had a lot of players that were Russian and Kazakh there, uh, because you have a lot of currency devaluation, they look at a lot of properties. So they're there. It's to them. It was all about square meters and how many square meters that they owned, whether commercial uh-huh. or, or apartments, because they knew people are always going to want a place to live. And if you have uh, an inflationary moment where, you know, say we, we were lucky here, you know, we see eight, 9% and we're freaking out there, you know, over there, it might be 20% every year. Oh, so wow. if you're sitting on a, a hoard of cash and you're gaining, you know, you're earning 8%, that might sound great, but if it, if you have a inflation that, that devalues your money by 20% every year, you've lost 12% every year. So they were more interested in fixed assets. They were gotcha. constantly buying, um, you know, real estate. Well, they probably, they probably just do their inflation rating, right? We just kind of adjust ours over here in the U S well, our central bank's obviously going to have more activity. <laughs> we got, we got our own fiscal and monetary policy issues in our country. But, yeah, uh, yeah. That could definitely move the markets. And I, you know, I also invested in, in farmland and some other fixed assets okay. that, that made sense. So. That's cool. That's interesting. I, it's just, I don't, you don't know how professional athletes are investing. Um, you know, you hear the Drew Brees, like some of the football <laughs> guys and the different, like, I didn't put it all. It was Kurt Schilling. I didn't put it all in a video game named after me or anything like that. <laughs> yeah. I feel bad. So I should, you know, single anybody out, but I think some athletes, um, you have to realize just because you're competent in one thing doesn't mean um, that you're going to be um, successful and as competent in something else if you don't put the time in it. So some people think, so, well, I'm successful in hockey. I'm just going to be successful and successful in business and successful in investing, but they don't put the time into it. So wow. you end up chasing things and throwing money away and maybe trusting people you shouldn't have trusted. But it's really sad when you see a, you know, kind of a guy with a, a broken body because he's given it everything to his sports and he's made $20, 30000000 million mm-hmm. and he's left with nothing because whether it's his entourage or his investments that he or she made, they, they, they disappear. So it's uh it's, it's a really sad story when you see that. I, we had a golf tournament last year with some Vikings players, like some older ones, um, yeah. retired ones. And it's like Aaron Henderson, you know, it's like just nothing. That was nothing. Literally, you know, you had to fly him in to get there and probably made a good career. And, and, but yeah. that, it sounds like that story is more common than people think. It's a little different back then too, because, you know, if you look at sports now, where if you looked at a median wage um, of, of a community, an athlete, uh, you know, in, in let's just say football is probably making, you know, 600 times what a, you know, the median income is probably not 600. We're making 50 times right back then a football player, you know, if an average salary was in the community was 22,000, he was probably making 60,000, you know, so it wasn't, yeah. it was different. Um, but you still had a, you know, had to learn to manage that. And it was just a different business than it is today. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. The, these athletes are paid. It's ruined really it well. to some degree. Um, Does uh, it? it, but it's, it's still business. I mean, the businesses make money on it. They want to win. 
they're going to they're going to pay those salaries to bring players in and that brings brings the bottom up too gotcha yeah because like well talk about like und where you came from in our hometown here it's like these these athletes stay two three usually years yeah a lot of, a lot of turn because there's a lot of talent yep. um which can be challenging i'm sure as a coach which i'm sure some of the coaches that, yeah. that you've played with or you know well the cool that i don't know that's the cool thing but the nice thing now is they got the the nil which is name image licensing so the players can actually uh, make money while they're playing so as a, even at college whether they're going oh. to events or, or selling their image or their naming naming um their name essentially um, that was a big no-no obviously when we were, when okay. we were playing. So you couldn't make any money. You, were you broke. couldn't make any money. I was, yeah, we were completely broke. So you, you know, you'd sit there and you'd play in front of 12,000 people, have a great game and you go home and eat ramen noodles and, and you know, drink water. I mean, jeez, <laughs> it's like the minors or it's like, I don't know. UND I think is pretty fair to the athletes today. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can make money like you go to, you go to a car dealership now and you could, you could sign autographs there and they, I think they can pay you like two grand. Well, we were living on two grand the whole semester. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way to make money. Yeah. Um, I had to work. I, that's where I kind of got into construction. I framed houses in the summer. So, um, you oh, know, geez, I'd, I'd be out there. Yeah. I'd be out there playing, you know, yeah, yeah. You just won rookie of the year. I said, yeah, great. I got I got to go home and go to work. So I got money for next year. So yeah, that, uh, that's interesting. That seems like a lot of athletes who always had a side gig to make some kind of money. You had to. Yeah. There's no money in the sport until it pays. Well, I, I remember until you get that $500,000 Ottawa yeah, Senator. And I remember we, you know, and I don't hold it against these guys, but we, we had some Shattuck guys in the team and it was like the end of the season was coming. They were so excited for summer. They're like, yeah, I'm going to go to the lake going to go wakeboard. And like, what are you going to do? And I said, I hate the summer. And like, why do you hate the summer? It's awesome. And I'm like, so I got to go to work. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, you know, and I suppose you played a lot of hockey and you trained and maybe at that point you get burned out a little bit. You got to get out of, out of hockey for a minute anyway well i don't know you're burned out you'd, you'd get your workouts in in the morning you try to skate at night and then you'd be out you know in the sun framing houses and just trying to battle through it i mean that was for me it was it was higher paid and i was going to get do anything else so right at least i could work with my hands <laughs> yeah that's well that's awesome so how did you wind up in grand forks now i know you had some past history here yep. but i don't know what else brings you back to this town originally i don't know if i heard the yeah no story. my my wife's from park river a lot of family are in the area okay um, we always felt like this was home just a nice safe place to, to raise kids we looked at minneapolis and that just really kind of was off-putting over the years, um, you know, kind of the area that I grew up in. I think a lot of people end up where their wife is to, to begin with. Um, that's not the rule, but it's, it's it just seems to be a generality. Um, so when we were kind of retiring, we, I mean, that's the first place we bought land and then built a house here. So it was, uh, and in a lot of ways, um, we're kind of like, here's the, you know, the, the next phase of our life and this is where we're going to do it. And then, and then your mindset's like, well, if I'm going to be here, I could be the captain. <laughs> is, that, was, is that like the next i don't know if it was that simple but i think uh you know i wanted to see some you know i was probably selfish I, I saw a lot of kids that you know a lot of families that were either leaving or their their kids would get old enough they'd have to go to minneapolis or chicago to work and then you know 10 years later they might come back and i wanted to see a place that had that professional growth where families could stay where kids could stay so I wanted my kids to stay here and have something to do is you know have jobs that could pay them well that they could stay here raise their own okay. families so I saw it as a, as a, probably a way to, you know, build the community and, and maybe keep, keep my kids and my grandkids here. So I don't have to travel and see them. Oh, look at that. Jeez. Yeah. Well, that, kind of that was, that's that was really the motivation. View. It's a long-term view. Yeah. yeah. I got it. So, so yeah, you, you, you kind of went into the, the conflict from athletics to politics a little bit and uh, you know, the, the hard, the barriers to entry to that. I mean, I'd imagine, you know, you're going to get a lot of criticism, criticism like you did. Um, where, uh, 
you know, what, what's next for your Grand Forks then? Where, where, are we, where are we headed as far as a community as a whole? We're up in North Dakota here, so yeah. we're, you know, what, we've what's got, next? I think we've got uh, a lot of momentum going. I think we're starting to see uh, some population growth, which we haven't seen since the flood, really. Um, our, our, our big sectors, our manufacturing sectors are doing well. Um, the university's doing well. We're seeing the UAS and the tech sector doing well. Um, but we're growing on a lot of different levels that we're seeing a lot more things for, for, for families to do. We need to get that mall going again. Yeah. Um, but the biggest thing for me is I really think it, it starts with business growth because if you don't have business growth and, and businesses aren't growing, you can't pay people higher wages. You know, you're just stuck at that level and housing price prices, everything keeps going up and people just get squeezed. So I think in, really a, a big piece of enjoying quality of life is having disposable income and being able to you know, not have to work three jobs, work one job, get paid well enough there and be able to have income left over to travel, to do other things, to maybe start your own business. Um, so I took a real entrepreneurial look at things and, and wanted to have a, a community that is going to grow and businesses are going to grow so that the business owners could do well, the employees could do well, and, and those wages are increasing. And then with that, you know, we're looking at some, some different facilities, whether it's a, a career technical education center, whether it's helping out with, um, Northern Air, they got their their, their two story golf uh, go kart track. Yeah. It's kind of some small things like that. Where you know it's a long winter. Let's find find some things for for people to do. So, so do you do you as the city? You're trying to you're out here trying to stimulate these projects, get them moving, see what they need to get them to the next level. Well, when it comes to business, yeah, you're you're, you're selling them a story on growth that's here. I mean, that's right. that's the biggest thing. And you know, you you know, through through maybe the economic development corporation or other ways, there might be some. Uh, some flex pay, some loans. So like, for example, Northern Air, they wanted to build this thing. It was a, a massive amount of risk and, and the city had, a, had set up a program for quality of life where it'd be an interest rate buy down. So they could, they had a $2 million investment in that track. So instead oh. of paying, um, instead of paying, you know, five, 6% interest, what it was at that time, you could leverage a, um, a loan from, or sorry, a grant from the Bank of North Dakota by loaning some, some local money to that and you get their rate down to 1%. So suddenly- now we can build that track yeah, we couldn't affordable. before yeah. because of the interest burden. So small things like that, childcare, we've done some similar things like that. I mean, that's a small example, but that's uh, uh, sort of nudging projects. I don't, I don't think the, I think the, the city in, in, in all the, in the political subdivisions, um, you want to give a nudge, you want to give a nod, a confident uh, nod of optimism and momentum, um, but you don't want to get involved. The private sector needs to drive things. I mean, gotcha. I think you guys have seen that working in other cities where yeah. some of them want growth and some of them are they're really scared of it and right. they don't want to do the work. Yep. So, oh, plenty of challenges in the development world. I'll we're willing you. to do the work, and I think you've seen it. There's been an, an explosion. There's there's no shortage of work for for contractors and for a lot of people in town here, whether it's service industry, manufacturing, um, even construction. Right. Yeah. Especially construction. <laughs> construction's easy everyone knows that and it's kind of like oh, yeah. it's kind of like the professional athlete i think there's only like one percent of 100 construction companies that survive after after 10 years it's yeah. just survival rate it's it's hard it's cutthroat it's it's yep. you got to be gritty um so tell me about this mall like how, how do you how do you break this thing down uh, i've already been out so I've what's met the, the vision group. i've met the group there a couple times um and it's it's frustrating because you've got uh you've got a group that um I mean, as you know, you're going to have assets that perform and assets that don't perform. Well, this is not an asset that's performing for them, but it's a write-off for their assets that are performing. So mm. do you want to invest in assets that are performing or ones that aren't? I mean, you or I would say, let's get you know our lower performing things up to, to snuff, right? Well, yep. they're, they're investing in their other properties and they're going to kind of let this one ride out. So I, it's unfortunate. We've, we've tried to push as much as we can, but we're supporting. I mean, personally, I'm supporting like Riverside Christian School going in there, bringing some right. life in there. And, uh, you know, I want Shields to perform well. You've got uh, Sanford going in there. So 
Retail is going to change. That used to be kind of the lifeblood of our city was that mall. My yeah. wife used to sell shoes at Marshall Fields there. Um, you know, I remember going there and oh, waiting geez. for to get off of work. And it was a busy place. It was. So it's sad to see when you lose, like I said, you lose your, your kind of your heart, your soul, a little bit of your lifeblood there. But um, I think the retail sector is going to look a little bit different. It's going to be a smaller retail footprint, more experiential things will be there. But I think at this point, it's going to take um, uh, them selling to either a, a local or a regional developer. Um, to have the vision and to actually care more about the community and know what they're doing to the community rather okay. than just worrying about the bottom line. Yeah. It's a interest rate markets, not helping anything in this case, but, um, well, they won't be able to refinance anything. So maybe it'll help them move it quicker. <laughs> yeah. Know? I mean, yeah, maybe when they're, looking at they're like, yeah, we'll sell it. We'll yeah, sell it. Try to make everything a positive, you know? Yeah. It's a, it's a tough, it's a tough deal because it is the, the center of our town here and, and yeah. uh, you know what? Hey, it's just a challenge and someone's going to see opportunity. And I think one, I mean, this might be a little bit of a competitor of yours, so I won't give them a huge nod, but the, uh, the beacon by Epic, um, you know, that was a very unique thing that we did. It was the first time we've used a, a revenue bond, a TIF revenue bond in the city's history. So um, cool. Taxons, you know, you, you know it well. I don't know how well your your uh, watcher or your viewers know it, but um, you're using tax increment to finance things. In this case, it's a it's a public good. So rather than them paying their full rate, taking a property that was worth you know three million dollars, they're going to have fifty million dollars worth of, of uh, value there. We're taking eighty percent of that increment. They pay it, and we put it towards a public square, which is going to have a hockey rink. Um, and a, a place for concerts, a place for yoga, splash pad. So it's going to be really the center, central hub for the whole community. Yeah. Um, so that play, that's going to be a, a really cool thing. And that was us using kind of some unique ideas um, to make something happen that wouldn't have worked out otherwise. They couldn't have built that and paid for that that square without using. And it's great for the taxpayers too, because you you have something that was only valued at $3 million that in the future is going to be valued at 50 or 60 million and right. pay the full fare. In the meantime, they're still paying 20% of that increment. Yeah. But it, you, you, otherwise you'd have got nothing different. So anyways, finding ways to, to use those TIFs to our advantage and people don't, I mean, they still, it's the hardest thing to explain to people that I know you're, you're not giving them any money. You're just waiting a little longer to take even more money from there to get even more money from them. It's, 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 it's just like the investing it's compounding. You're not, it's not, you're, you're going to get the benefit now. You're going to get the future benefit of having that reduce your tax multiples. levy. Yep. I mean, it's yep. going to, it's, it's just investing in yourself. You're investing in your community. You're reducing, you know, you're, you're trying to make a better community to have a brighter future, yep. you know, type community. So I, no, I, <laughs> I think any city that's pro like North Dakota itself, is very investor friendly, which yes. is uh, not many people would consider North Dakota to be the best state, you know, of the nation. It's always up there. It's like in the top five as business yeah. friendly states. I, I think we're on the, one of the highest population thing graphs, like as far as growth. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, yeah. it's, yeah, it's always, we got some good numbers to start from, you know, it's like, if you got eight people and you add two, you've just had 25% growth. So we kind of got those numbers secret. going. Yeah. yeah right. We got some numbers going, but still it's better than losing play. I mean, California is losing congressional seats for the first time. Even Minnesota oh, yeah. starting to lose. I had buddies that uh, during some of those protests are like, I don't know why I live here. The city's burning down. And it's, there's nothing left for me. What's, what's up there. And I actually had recruited some, actually my niece moved up here and she said she wanted to get out. Really? Here, so she moved up, took a job at retrax up here and cool. Uh, she actually moved to devil's lake now. So she's moving even further. Oh, out, so yeah, but, so it's nice cruel. to bring some people from Minneapolis, um, you know, up here and from Minnesota here and other places. So as you yeah. see the, as you see the, the, um, the license plates here, you're seeing, Hopefully not too. We're seeing a lot of California. I don't want too many California because that gets weird. But uh, you're seeing California, yeah, New York, Illinois, Minnesota. You're seeing all these plates coming, and uh, you know they're coming here for jobs, and that's awesome. Yeah, they're coming to harp on you. Yeah, coming to harass me. <laughs> coming to harass you. Well, you're going to be the mayor for whatever now. 
I don't know. We'll see. I got this term. I got one more year and then we'll decide what to do uh, as the reelection uh, period. Comes yeah. Back. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. You, you can't retire now. Uh-oh, what, what's your next venture? You'd have to find another adventure. I think, uh, and I be, know you, I, you know what my next adventure, I'd like to go fishing with my boys a little bit more. Okay. I'd like to go hiking with my daughter and my wife a little bit more. So there's yeah. always another adventure. Let's not forget that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks Brandon so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Thanks Interesting hockey career. I, uh, this is, uh, this is in, in for it. It's just that I learned so much during this. It's like, I, I, I want to know more about your story and how like your athletics and geez, it's getting weird. I better get out of here before we start hugging or yeah, something. Yeah. So yeah. That's so good. it's cool. It's cool. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. Um, thanks for coming by and, uh, we'll see you in the next one.